Amen. Amen. Thank you, ladies. Appreciate that. Again, appreciate all the music, all the hard work, and uh, I think it would be as hard to sing in front of a mostly empty auditorium as it is to preach in front of mostly empty auditorium. So I appreciate all those that have had a part, Liam and Pastor Aaron leading the music and things, and so appreciate all those in the sound booth too. Title of this evening's message is simply this: Four erroneous thoughts in the midst of a tremendous trial. Four erroneous thoughts in the midst of a, a tremendous trial. I like listening to wise men. Men who abound in wisdom about a certain topic and uh, whatever the topic may be. I like just sitting and listening to them, allowing them to uh, inculcate me and to uh, give me knowledge and uh, educate me on something. I love that. And certainly Solomon was such a man. Uh, he was a man certainly well learned, much wisdom as we well know, the wisest man that ever lived. And when when it came to our thinking and our thoughts, he made a great observation uh, here in Proverbs chapter 23 and verse 7. We're familiar with it. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. A, a general principle uh, that he was using in a specific context there, but it is a principle that applies to all of mankind. So as a man thinketh in his heart, so, he, uh, so is he. Sometime later, Jesus Christ came along and confirmed or affirmed that observation. He applied it to our speech and our actions. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 45, he said, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. And we understand the term heart there referring to um, our thinking, our thoughts, who we are, and so forth. And there ought to be no surprise that after Christ made that kind of emphasis and many more about our thinking and about our heart, that the authors and the human authors and writers of the New Testament were led by the Holy Spirit to challenge us about our thinking to challenge us about guarding our thoughts, to allow our thoughts to only be influenced and impacted and molded by the truth of God's Word. In fact, the Bible will tell us that we need to have our thinking renewed. We need to have it literally renovated, rising above the carnal and fleshly thoughts that naturally spring up within us in our old nature and our flesh. And I love this thought uh, when it commands us to be renovated and uh, to renovate or renew our thinking. As we think of renovation construction company, the fact is this, the construction company we are to hire to accomplish that in our minds and in our life is the Holy Spirit and the powerful tool of God's Word. That's where the renovation of our thinking comes, where we look to to kind of renovate things in our own minds and hearts and lives. Back in 1903, there was a man by the name of James Allen. He wrote a book, As a Man Thinketh. There are some things that I certainly would not agree with that he wrote in that book, but he made some powerful observations about this verse in Proverbs. This general idea, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And I think these are just uh, a tremendous challenge, and I love how he poetically put them. And uh, he talked about the impact of the power of our thinking and our thoughts and the part that they play in forming our character. And our character is going to determine how we handle trials. Our character is going to ha- determine how we face things. Our character is what is going to get us through or cause us to collapse in the face of trials. Notice what he says, and there's a lot to it. I, I put it over five different slides, so it's, a, it's quite a, a quote, but I want to put it before you. Notice what he says. He says this, A man is literally what he thinks. His character being the complete sum of all his thoughts. As the plant springs from 
and could not be without the seed. So every act of a man springs from the hidden seeds of thought and could not have appeared without them. This applies equally to those acts called spontaneous and unpremeditated as to those which are deliberately executed. I love this um, statement he makes next. Act is the blossom of thought and joy and suffering are its fruits. Thus does a man garner in the sweet and bitter fruitage of his own husbandry. Man is a growth by law, not a creation by artifice. And cause and effect is as absolute and undeviating in the hidden realm of thought as in the world of visible and material things. Notice this statement. I think it's tremendous. A noble and godlike character is not a thing of favor or chance but is the natural result of continued effort in right thinking, the effect of long-cherished association with God-like thought. May I just uh, subscribe and put that in there? The fact is this, friend. It is the reality that a God-like thought is exposure to God's Word. God-like thought. Notice that he goes on, an ignoble and bestial character by the same process is the result of the continued harboring of groveling thoughts. Man is made or unmade by himself. I love the description here. In the army of thought, he forges the weapons by which he destroys himself. He also fashions the tools which with, with which he builds for himself heavenly mansions of joy, strength, and peace. I like that. You see what he's saying? He's saying by our thoughts we can build here on earth mansions of joy and strength and peace. You want a little bit of heaven? You want a taste of heaven? Gain the joy that only comes from God's word. You want a little taste of heaven? Grab the joy and the peace and the strength that only comes from knowing God. That's what he's alluding to here. And that is getting our thoughts in control and settling our thoughts in God's word. It's a great statement. He goes on. By the right choice and true application of thought, man ascends to the level of divine character. You know, literally, we're supposed to be Christ-like. God-like in our character. By the abuse and strong application of thought, he descends below the level of beast. Between these two extremes are all the grades of character, and man is their maker and master. Man, that is beautifully stated, isn't it? Uh, just tremendously, tremendously worded, and it betrays a good understanding on the part of the author of both of what Solomon stated and Christ confirmed. Your thoughts in any given situation, now get this, your thoughts in any given situation are like the rudder of a large ship. Your thoughts will determine your course above everything else through calm waters or stormy waters. Likewise, your thoughts in the face of a great storm are like an anchor of a large ship. An anchor fashioned after the right thoughts of God's words will hold you in place no matter the intensity of the storm or trial. While an anchor made of fallible earthly thinking will simply bounce helplessly over the sea's floor as you are tossed about to and fro with every wind and wave. Your thinking has a huge effect. It's not a stretch to say right now that we as a country, a state, a world, a church is in the midst of a storm and a trial. 
As we've stated much, it is unprecedented. Nothing has gripped our nation like this since 9-11. And yea, this is much greater. There's such an uncertainty that abounds. There's an unforeseeable end. The wind is blowing. The waves are cresting higher and higher. And the gale is blowing stronger and stronger. How is the anchor of your thinking front? Is it holding? You see, we have often said the battlefield of the mind is often where the spiritual battle is first fought and lost or won. So it is true. You can be sure your response and your thinking and then doing in the midst of this storm and trial involves spiritual battles. It's no different today than it has been true with every other trial that God's people have faced down through the ages. They all include spiritual battles playing out in the battlefield of our mind. You and I know many stories in the Scriptures of trials that people faced. And I would tell you that you name the story, the storm that played out in the pages of Scripture, and I can tell you and show you where and how one's thinking came to play. How one's thinking was the site of a great spiritual battle that then played out, as the author there, Alan, put, it played out the fruit being either the joy or the sufferings of those decisions, those thoughts that were wrought on that battlefield. In fact, let's turn to Job chapter 1, if you will, with me. Job chapter number 1. We're going to look at how one's thinking uh, affects us. In fact, in doing so, we'll look at some errors in thinking. We've entitled the message this, Four Erroneous Thoughts in the Midst of a Tremendous Trial. Now, I will tell you right away, this basic outline, really, just the four main points I, I have borrowed from a preacher of old in, in England. His name was W. Graham Scroggy or Scroggy. And uh, so his, the main points are his. I give him all credit. I just, through the Holy Spirit, added the meat and the potatoes, and we might put it that way, or the meat and the muscle and everything else to these simple thoughts. It's great truths for us to say, okay, I want to make sure my thinking is correct. I'm not erroneously thinking in the midst of this trial. Look at Job chapter 1. Look down at verse number 9 with me, if you will. Verse number 9. Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Doth Job fear God for not? Hast not thou made a hedge about him and about his house and about all that he hath on every side? Thou hast blessed the work of his hands and his substance is increased in the land. But put forth thine hand now, touch all that he hath, and he will curse thee to thy face. Now, most interesting, in the midst of this trial, we know Job's trial. We know that this is a, just a, a whole book, 40-plus chapters of a great trial of Job. We get it. One of the greatest trials recorded for us. Most interestingly, the first one that shows us an error in thinking is Satan erroneous thinking on the part of Satan. Now, that, uh, can I encourage you tonight, and this just helps us a little bit? Satan is fallible. Satan can be an error. Satan has demonstrated time and time again of erroneous thinking. His thinking is, is fallible. It's not perfect. He is not like God. And I think sometimes, certainly, we read about Satan, and man, he's certainly an angel, powerful in many different ways, but he is not like God. His thinking is fallible. It is not perfect. He is, om he is not omniscient. Uh, Satan is not. In fact, one of the greatest proofs of that, that he actually thought he could replace God. Shows his thinking was wrong, erroneous, in error. And here again, we have another great proof 
another demonstration on his part against uh, of erroneous thinking. You say, how is that? Note that we would put it this way. Satan erred in thinking that Job served God for what he could get. He erred in thinking that Job served God for what he could get. Literally, Satan thought very low of Job, didn't he? He believed that if everything was lost, save Job's own life, that Job would fold like a house of cards. He asserted here before the very face of God that Job was following God just to get out of it what he could. That's such a trial. Allowing Job to be subject to a great storm in life, a destructful and sorrowful storm that would touch him and his family greatly, would expose Job as being a follower of Jehovah God just for the blessings and the gifts that God bestowed upon him. Nothing else, just because of the safety that came from following God. That's what Satan thought. I can only imagine that Satan has been busy these past couple of weeks as we know him to be the accuser of the brethren. Most certainly, he has appeared before God in whatever means and method that is, and in doing so, he has brought before God the name of many a believer here on earth told God that if you turn the world upside down with this virus, if you cause it to affect their lives, if you allow it to hinder what they are doing, if you let it blow strongly in their lives, they will cease to follow you. It will be revealed, Lord, that so-and-so in that pew and -and so-and-so in that church and that so-called believer, they only follow you when things are going well, when the, the seas are calm, when the sun is shining, when you're blessing their life. But, oh, God, you turn their world upside down. You make everything come to a halt, and they'll stop following you they won't have the heart to seek after you. They'll uh, no longer be like Peter and come to you in the midst of a storm. Perchance, would you think of it this evening? Perchance, Satan brought your name before God this week, Christian. Would his thinking be wrong? Would his thinking be wrong? Would it be proven that his thinking was wrong by your faithfulness? Has your faith faltered in the face of a trial, this trial, or maybe just another trial that's in your life? Have you simply been following after God because of the blessings as a security blanket for life? We're reminded that your thinking will determine your course. Your thinking will either be an anchor that holds fast or a helpless anchor that drags bottom as you are carried away. I like it because here's the reality. Don't miss it. I've been reading several past months some historical uh, novels and things like that. Just enjoy reading about history, especially in Europe and things like that. And some of them are are those in ships and traders and others, those who were pirates and things like that. It's interesting. As they would put in a storm, they would uh, come to a storm. There's different ways of dealing with a storm. But one of them was that they have a strong enough anchor. uh, They would put it down. It would hold them during that storm so they wouldn't be uh, pushed upon the shoals or the cliff or the edge, the rock edge and things like that. That wouldn't happen. So either they're, they're 
their anchor held them, but they understood that at times, if their anchor wasn't strong enough, that if they put it down, it would just be dragged across the, the bottom of the sea and actually would cause them more problems than be a help to them. Now, here's what I find interesting about that. Perfect illustration. See, your thinking will either, if it's rooted in God's Word and the truth of the character of God, your thinking will either be an anchor that holds you secure through the greatest storm, or my friend, you know what's going to happen? You're going to be carried away, and your thinking's going to be carried away with you. It'll almost become a negative. You'll think erroneously. You'll think wrong thoughts, and uh, that'll be an anchor that's simply dragged across the bottom of the sea in the midst of a storm. Boy, I sure am thankful that we see that Job proved Satan wrong proved his thinking to be erroneous about him. Look down at verse 20 with me, if you will. Job chapter 1, and notice verse 20. Then Job arose, he rent his mantle, he shaved his head, and he fell down upon the ground and worshipped. And he said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. I don't know about you, friend, but I sure do like it when the devil loses. When the Satan is proven wrong in his thinking. I hope that happened this week. I hope it's happened for the past couple weeks when he was in front of God accusing you, accusing I and other believers that our faith isn't faltering, that if God allowed things to touch us, a trial to impact us, that you and I would have the thinking like an anchor that holds in the face of a tremendous trial like Job had here. Will your thinking prove Satan's thinking about you to be wrong? Will you respond in the face of a tremendous trial with the heart fixed upon truth like Job's heart was fixed? I don't know what other trials you and I are facing in your life. I certainly know ones I face. We know the shared trial that we have, but wouldn't it be great for it to be said of us in the midst of a storm? In all this, Stephen Henry sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. Don't you want to come out on the other end of every trial and that to be said of you? Satan's there. Ah, this is going to be it. This trial is going to take her down. This trial is going to take him down. This will be their undoing as a Christian. They'll stop going to church. They'll stop reading their Bible. They'll stop having prayer. You watch it. They'll, they'll pull out of ministries because of this trial. This trial is going to cut them knees out from under them. It's going to pull them back spiritually. You watch God. This trial is going to cause them to stop looking to you. Isn't it great if at the end of such an accusation by Satan against you and I before God that it could be said that in all this we sinned not, nor charge God foolishly. My friend, that starts with your thinking. If you and I are going to prove Satan wrong in his thinking, our thinking has to be right. We have to thwart him in such a way. See, it'd only be true for each of us if our thinking is founded upon the truth of God's character, the truth found in His Word. Then we can prove His thinking to be erroneous. And I'll tell you right now, that sure does sound good for you and I to prove Satan wrong. I like it. There's a second erroneous thought. It's found in Job chapter 2. Look at verse number 9 with me. 
You probably guessed where this one would come to play. Notice it. Then said his wife, Job's wife, unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God, and shall we not receive evil? And all this did not Job sin with his lips. Ah, yes, Mrs. Job. The voice of fleshly and carnal reasoning and thinking. The helpmeet turned into a hindrance that needed to be overcome by Job. What was the error of her thinking? Don't miss it. This is crucial. Young people, don't miss this. I think this is somewhere that, that boy, Satan tops us with the wrong thoughts in this way. Here's what Job's wife thought. She erred in thinking that with the loss of the visible and human, all was lost. She's looking around, and, and, and let's understand this. This is the challenging truth here. She, Mrs. Job, joined her husband, Job, in every aspect of this trial. She had suffered tremendously. There's no argument with that. We can't argue that this was truly, a, indeed, a difficult storm in life. But understand her thinking and don't miss it. Her life consisted of the things she could hold, not of the God that held her. Say, Mrs. Joe, what's, what's life all about? Well, you know, I have a great family, my children, and boy, my, my husband is blessed, and we've just established ourselves in this community, and we have a beautiful house tent, and <laughs> everything is just, man, we have so many possessions, and boy, we have great grandchildren, and this is just, boy, life, this is, this is, this is life. This is what, the way life was meant to be lived. And what happens? Just a moment, it's all gone. Sets her back. Challenges her thinking. Life consisting of those things. See, such a truth is hard for some to accept and trust in. It's too easy here on earth for us to see our house slip away, our job to slip away, our retirement funds slip away, our health slip away, our loved ones even slip away and not think the worst. We lose things. Possessions are snatched away out of our control. The future on earth here financially being uncertain. We lose loved ones and friends. And we can easily fret and worry and be overcome with anxiety. And may I submit to you, that is the human way. That's the old nature of the flesh. It's the same thinking that crowded Mrs. Job's heart and mind. She's not unique. It's human thinking, reasoning. Look around. I've lost it all. In fact, it's such a prevalent thinking that Jesus Christ himself addressed it in a parable. And he prefaced that parable with this statement in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. May I ask you tonight, Lately, have you been tempted to think and worry about losing it all? About losing all your things or finances that uh, being strained and maybe even worry about catching the virus and facing death? Can I encourage you, if you are, if you have been, go back and change your thinking. Stop thinking erroneously. If you're a believer, your life doesn't consist of this house in which you live, the car that's in your driveway, the multitude of possessions in your home and garage, and may I say life does not consist of the health of your body. 
As a believer, your life consists of Jesus Christ, the giver of life. Your life consists of a relationship with God in heaven and your treasures in heaven that neither moth nor rust nor a virus can take away from you. That's life. When we get in the midst of a trial, when we get in the midst of a storm, it's so easy for us to think, oh no, if I lose it all, what will my life be? My friend, your life is in Jesus Christ. Though you lose all here on earth, you still have life. It is found alone in Him. Say, but Pastor Henry, what if I contract COVID-19 and I die? Well, the Bible says for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. My friend, there is not loss in death for the believer. There is only gain. May I submit to you tonight with all honesty and transparency in my own heart? If I, if I today were to lose everything that life consists of, i.e., if I were to lose Jesus Christ, then I would have every right and privilege to be depressed, discouraged, to despair, to throw in the towel. But my friend, based upon God's promises and His Word, I can tell you, though you may lose everything in this physical world, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you will never lose Him. You have Him, and He has you. And that is life. The rest, as someone has said before, those are just details. Life is Jesus Christ. And no enemy, no storm, no trial, no virus, no death can take away Jesus Christ if you are His by faith. If your thinking this evening is consumed with what you have lost, what you have missed out on, what you could lose, or what you had to go without already, you need to stop thinking erroneously and stop thinking that this virus and every other trial you face cannot touch your life because your life consists of the untouchable Jesus Christ and you are hid in Jesus Christ. It is the thinking that should have erupted in Job's wife. Wouldn't it have been so much better? I think I mentioned something similar in a message we preached on this passage before. Wouldn't it have been better if Job's wife just came along and, hey, dear, dear, don't worry about it. God's still in control. Just another trial we'll face together. Let's keep trusting Him. Man, what a, what a thrill that would have been. What an encouragement that would have been to Job. What, what an uplifting and supportive thanking on her part. Literally, my Paul says it to the church at Colossae uh, in Colossians chapter 3 and verses 2 through 4. He says this, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. Then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Uh, May I remind you this evening, in the midst of the storm, it seems like life is slipping away when things are changed, when discomfort has come, when when things are interfered with, when things have been turned upside down. In our human side, we might want to think, oh, life is changing, life is slipping away. May I remind you that this life is not everything. It's only the beginning of eternity. To lose something here is truly nothing. 
to gain Christ for all eternity is everything. Get your thinking right in this trial. Every trial you face, get your thinking aligned. What is life? Don't err in your thinking like Job's wife did. Number three, look with me at Job chapter 22. It's an interesting one that we have presented for us. Job chapter 22, if you'll turn over there with me, we'll look down at verse number 5. Job chapter 22 and verse number 5, as we consider the third erroneous thought which is found uh, here in this passage in the midst of a tremendous trial that Job is going through. Job chapter 22, verse 5. Is not thy, and these are his friends speaking, is not thy wickedness great? They're talking to Job. (laughs) And thine iniquities great? infinite that's a good friend isn't it hey let me come around hey what if i went up to pastor tony at the service pastor tony, i just want to tell you your sins are infinite your wickedness is whoa it's out of here i mean infinite uh, infinity not ending i mean that's harsh hey pastor tony i heard you got a cold that must be because your sins are an infinite that's literally what Joe's friends are saying to him. They're coming in and saying, aha, see this? Boy, you've got to love friends like that or a pastor employer. Anyway, uh, how, is it, how easy is it for people to jump on the bad bandwagon of erroneous thinking? What was it? Notice what their thinking is. Job's friends erred in thinking that Job's suffering was the outcome of sin. Now listen to me and hear me out. Okay, because uh, we're not parsing per se here in the sense, but there is some truth, and, and we can look at it both ways. But understand this. Before we condemn these friends too greatly, let us remember the disciples asked the same thing about a blind man who was blind from birth in John chapter 9. They looked at Jesus Christ as they came upon the man. They said, who did sin, him or his parents? They assume, a faulty assumption, we might put it this way, they assume that suffering and tragedy falls because someone uh, is in sin or because of the sin of someone. And certainly, we understand, biblically speaking, it is true sometimes that storms come as part of the chastening of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord. And every time we enter a trial or storm, it is good for us to evaluate, to search our own life and heart and with a desire to expose and eradicate sin and wrongdoing and iniquity in response to those troubles and storms. But it's not always the case. Remember, Christ responded to the disciples in John chapter 9. He said, listen, neither hath this man sinned nor his parents but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, don't miss this. I think this is crucial. He's not saying this man, these parents have never sinned. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this outcome in their life, the blindness, is not an outcome of or a response, a cause and effect to sin in their life. So certainly they're sinners. We know all men are sinners. So I think it's good for us to uh, let, let's, let's make the, a sense of this in our own minds. He wasn't saying they're sinners. Perfect. He is literally, Christ is saying, this did not happen because of this. It's important. Disciples jumped all over it. Now, I'm not going to argue with you tonight that whether this virus, COVID-19, is God pouring a measured amount of judgment upon the earth. Certainly could be the case. That would be for another message, another contemplation and consideration. And it could be true that God will use this virus as a means of chastening in the life of some individual lives and to bring them back to God or to bring them to salvation. Uh, But it does not mean that everyone that comes down with COVID-19 did so because there's sin in their life. I do know this. 
And here's what Christ was getting at in this passage. You know, there are some trials that we face that are simply and solely intended to bring about the manifestation of God in His glory. There's some trials that I go through, that you go through, health, financially, a virus, you name it. There are trials we go through, and the sole purpose from heaven is this. It's not that you've been a bad Christian. It's not that you faltered and failed. No, God is saying, listen, I'm going to give you a chance to fulfill what you were created for to bring God glory. Now, I get excited about that. Here's a great opportunity. I don't like trials. I don't like troubles. I don't like storms. But when God from heaven says, you know what? This is going to be a great opportunity for God to get the glory. And sometimes trials are designed, and that is their sole purpose. And I know that even within the trials that do come from the chasing hand of God, God, one of the ultimate goals and desires of God is to bring himself glory from that. And I would submit to you, don't miss it tonight, that needs to be our thinking. In fact, our thinking and prayers need to be aligned with this truth. We ought to be praying for those that have contracted the virus. We, we ought to be praying for those in authority and leadership making decisions. We ought to be thinking and praying for uh, God and His glory to be manifested throughout this trial. Wouldn't it be wonderful if souls are saved all over the world through this trial? Have you been praying for that? You've been praying, God, I want you to be manifested. I, I, I don't want this to be the glory of the president, the glory of a governor, the glory of the World Health Organization. I don't want this to be the glory of anybody else. Lord, I want you to get the glory from this. And I would submit to you, we ought to be praying along the lines of something like this. God, may you be exalted and glorified in every way possible. May all of creation cry out to you in the midst of this tremendous trial. And may you be made manifest like never before in the eyes of people that need to see you and trust in you. And that ought to be our thinking. Listen, we, let's put it this way. This virus and trial that we find ourselves in, and really any other trial in our life, is bigger than you and me. Our goal should be to make it as much about God as we can. Our thoughts ought to be less about who is to blame, who brought it upon us, who is making the mistakes to cause it to spread, and more about how can we help God and his glory to be made manifest. How can we proclaim him? My friend, let that be our thinking. And may our thinking inform our prayers. And we certainly know that when any trial turns our attention and focus to God and his glory, one of the outcomes, it deals with sin. <laughs> It deals with sin. Do I hope that through this that America deals with its sin? Yes, that's my prayer. But ultimately, I don't know the purpose fully behind it. But I do know this. God can get the glory. And he ought to get the glory from every trial. And some of that is going to rest on my thinking in my life. How I approach it. Kind of what we talked about this morning. My attitude towards it. My outlook. Finally, and I think this is sometimes where we will not admit we err in our thinking, but I think sometimes it creeps up. I would talk to some of the Christians there at home, some who have gathered here uh, this evening, and the fact is this, sometimes we creep into this kind of thinking without realizing it. We'll make comments and we'll make statements to fellow believers and maybe unbelievers, and what it is really conveying is some erroneous thinking. So what are you talking about? Turn with me to Job chapter 27 in verse number 2. Over a few chapters, Job chapter 27 in verse number 2. 
Job is responding, and he is, it's a tough time for him. Notice verse number two. He says this, As God liveth, who hath taken away my judgment, and the Almighty who hath vexed my soul. Well, what would I describe this as? I, I think here we have before us Job's pity party. And we've all been invited to attend. You ever have a pity party? <laughs> you feel sorry for yourself? Yeah, I just have it so rough. No one has trials like me. Oh, yeah, they got trials, but no one has them like me. No one's going through what I have. Oh, yeah, the Bible says they're all common to men, but this one is unique. <laughs> I mean, have you ever had that thought? I mean, really, that's kind of what Job's going through. Let's put it this way. The trial is wearing on him. Do you realize, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, we're not even one week into three-week sheltering home. Some people are already cabin fevered out. Weary of being home. Weary of all the restrictions and everything else. Ah, just, I just want life to go back to normal. Can I tell you, that's kind of where Job is. Job's here. Job's saying, hey, boy, I, this is, God has vexed my soul. Boy, what if someone says that in a prayer request on a Wednesday night? Pray for me. God has vexed my soul. We'd be like, amen. Next one. <laughs> I mean, how would you handle that? You know, God, God has vexed my That's what he says. In fact, in our, some of our Bibles in the margin, it literally says, and I like this, he says, this is his description, um, <laughs> the fact that, that God, uh, he blames God, there it is, for making his soul bitter. Making his soul bitter. Now, I would submit to you, for a good part of the book of Job, his thinking's right. But he's worn down. And my friend, can I tell you, sometimes when trials carry on, when we don't see the end, when we don't see the way through the stormy clouds, when we don't understand how God's going to work, boy, we can get worn down and wore out. And you know what happens? Just a little bit of erroneous thought, error in our thinking comes in. But here's the reality. You let a little error in thinking in, you let a little error in doctrine in, and a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. And boy, that's happened with Job. May I submit to you this? How did Job err? Job erred in thinking that God was unkind. Man, he vexed my soul. He credited God with doing As we said, the margin expounds upon adding that he blamed God. He's made my soul bitter. You know, say, Pastor Henry, I'm much too pious to do that. Can I tell you how many times that I have unfortunately heard and I would dare say, I've probably been tempted to say this too. You know, how often in the midst of a trial do we hear someone say this? Why me, God? And it is an indicator and a window into the bitterness of soul. Now, don't argue with me later on through email or something else. I understand that sometimes you can ask God, why me? In the sense of, Lord, search me. Show me if there's something in me or whatever that's brought this about. But I'll tell you, I've heard a whole lot of Christians. Why me? Why is it me? Why do I have to go through this? Why am I the one facing this? And it's just a bitterness of soul. Now listen to me. Listen to me carefully. I think this is crucial. Inherent to such a question, and really a statement is this. It's a thinking uh, that it's unfair. God is unkind. He is unloving to allow this or send it my way. Yeah, God, you were just being unfair and kind. Why me? And yet, what does God say? Oh, but God says, God is faithful, who will not suffer you be tempted above that you're able, 
But will with the temptation also make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Man says, hey, this is unkind. This is unloving. God, why do we have to go through this virus? Why does everything have to be shut down? And God says, God is faithful. I'm faithful. I'm not going to suffer you to be tempted above that you're able. I'm going to give you a way to bear it and to, to go through it. God's not unkind. In such a question, you know what our thinking is? Our erroneous thinking? Our erroneous thinking is, I I can't deal with this right now. Why did this have to happen now? Girls who are about to start soccer season. Why now? I can't deal with it. I can't, all this shutting down. I can't overcome this. And those who are about to graduate and everything else, I can't face this. I, I can't handle it. That's the human response. Me and God, you're so unkind, your timing and everything you've done. And yet, what's God's response? God says this, my grace is sufficient for thee. You, you can do, and it's a paraphrase I know. Don't tell me I'm quoting the wrong version. You can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. You can. Our thinking we think, Lord, I, I, I sure don't deserve this. There must have been a mistake. This trial was Pastor Aaron's, not mine. I, God, you didn't mean to send this to me. It wasn't meant for me. You know what God says to that? Hey, trials come so you can fulfill your calling of bringing praise and honor to me. First Peter chapter 1 and verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Forgive my naivety, my juvenile mentality here. You know how many books are written for kids where an engine or some other thing doesn't get to do what it wants to do? Be used for what it's created for? The little engine that could, okay, anyway, you know, many others like that. Yeah, but, but, you know, that poor little engine or that poor little tool didn't get used for what it, can I tell you as a Christian, you were created for the pleasure and glory of God. It ought to be that we look at a trial like, man, God, this is, I don't deserve this. I, I, this is, wait a minute, this is a mistake. This shouldn't, this wasn't meant for me. It ought to be, oh, praise the Lord. Now I get an opportunity to glorify him. I get to fulfill my purpose here on earth to bring him glory. I think that's what Paul looked at. I think that was his attitude. We talked about this morning, his outlook. Uh, He looked for the outcome of God's glory. See, our thinking often is this. Now, here's where we sometimes get the bitterness, the the despair. Sometimes our thinking in in the midst of a trial is, this is going to be the end of me. Man, I think Job thought that. It's going to be the end of me. I, I can't survive it. It's going to defeat me and and crush me once and for all. And we could plug in so many trials here. Someone who has cancer return. Someone who has financial issues repeatedly. I mean, we could plug in many different trials here. And boy, it's so easy for our human thinking to say, God, I, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't go through this. But you know what God says? And I love this. Don't miss it. God says this, this trial will not only not destroy you, it will make you more like Christ. It will make you stronger in Him and a better child of God if you let it. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 3, excuse me, 3 says, My brethren, count it all joy 
when you fall into diverse temptations, trials, different temptations, different trials, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And he goes on to describe that that is just the beginning of a great process in our lives to change us into the very likeness of Jesus Christ. You see, it's easy for us to look at God and say, God, why, why are you doing this now? Why is this happening now? Lord, I, I can't do this. I can't bear under this. I can't face this. God says, listen, this isn't going to destroy you. I'm going to give you grace. My grace is going to be sufficient. You can do all things through me with strength in you, and it's going to make you better. You ever heard the old statement, if it doesn't kill me, it'll make me better? And I think my dad may have told me that a few times when trying to get me to do something. If it doesn't kill me, it's going to make me better, make me stronger. You know, the fact is this, God has promised you, <laughs> and, and I don't know, I don't think this is a rel, irrele, or irreverent, excuse me, but I heard someone say the other day that you and I are immortal here on earth till God's done with us. You know, the fact is this, if God does not intend, it is not his will for a trial to be the end of you, it will not be. Simple. If God does not intend it to be the end of you, it will not be. In fact, it will be the opposite. It will be something that God uses in your life to make you better, more like Christ, and to be able to bring him glory. And my friend, that's where our thinking needs to be aligned to the truth of God's word. See, when we consider it now, these are not the actions or the words of an unkind, unfair, or unloving God. Quite the opposite. The verses I've shared with you prove it. He's a loving, a fair, a just, caring God. The rest of the book of Job bears that out. You know what's exciting about the book of Job? Remember what happens in a few chapters? Job comes around in his thinking. His thinking's changed. God speaks to him and he, like he is to you and I tonight through his word. He, he speaks to Job and Job says, God, you're right. I'm wrong. My thinking was wrong. I want to bring it back into line with what is right, with the truth that you have given me. Don't be an error in your thinking today, friend. This coronavirus is not a trial or storm that proves that God is unloving or unkind. Rather, it is an opportunity once again for God to show that He is able to bear us in any trial. It's an opportunity for us to see that His grace is sufficient. It's an opportunity for us to uniquely bring Him glory and honor throughout it. It is an opportunity for God to grow us in ways that is needed into the very character of God. Now, how does He want to accomplish that? Just how is that going to be done? All of those things are going to be done in our lives. It starts with our thinking. Get your thinking right, founded upon the Word of God, the truth of God's Word, the infallible, powerful Word of God. You allow your thoughts to be informed by that. Oh, my friend, then you and I can avoid erroneous thinking in life. Can I put it this way and draw it all together with this simple statement? Don't err in your thinking. Be established in your thinking. You see the verse, Proverbs chapter 16 and verse 3. It says, commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. 
May I submit to you right now, tonight, those watching at home and those here tonight, hey, if it says commit thy works unto him, one of those ways we commit our works unto him is say, okay, God, I am going through this right now. Here are the works, the, my life, what has happened in my life. I am going to commit it to you through prayer. I'm going to turn it over to you. We heard this morning, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Come unto me, all you that are heavy, uh, uh, heavy laden and uh, that need rest, that labor. Come unto me. I'll give you rest. So commit thy works unto the Lord. May I challenge you right now, the first step in that is to pray. Lord, I'm going through this trial. It may be this virus. It may be smaller trials within the larger trial we talked about this morning. Father, I'm going to commit this to you. I'm trusting that you're going to do great things. And you know what happens? When we turn that over in prayer to God, what happens? Our thoughts are established. We come in line. God speaks to us. The Holy Spirit ministers to us. He reminds us of some of the things we heard in church on Sunday. He reminds us of some of the things we read in our devotions, verses we memorized in the past. God establishes our thinking. And my friend, you know what that term established kind of sounds like? It sounds like an anchor that's set. It's established. Commit thy works unto the Lord and thy thoughts will be established. And I'll tell you, my friend, when we do so, when we pray and commit our lives and our trials and our works into the Lord, and then our thoughts are established, guess what that just gives us a leg up on? Spiritual battles. The battlefield of the mind. This trial is not going to defeat me. In fact, then I can turn this trial into triumph. Get your thinking right. Would you this evening, as we go to prayer in this invitation, would you say, okay, God, where has my thinking been wrong here? Where have I thought erroneously in these illustrations? Lord, forgive me where I thought you've been unkind. Father, forgive me where, where I have faltered and, and, and really what my life consists of. Lord, help me, forgive me, and help me to get my thinking right and established on the Word of God. Won't you join me tonight? Let's continue in our path and our journey of turning this trial into a triumph. Father, we thank you so very much for your word. I am grateful for the truths that are born out from your word. And Lord, what your Holy Spirit has illuminated us with tonight. Lord, I pray for every soul that is here present, for everyone watching via live streaming. Lord, I pray for even those that might watch it at a later time. Lord, I pray that you would work now in our hearts in this invitation. I pray those at home would not be thinking about what's going to happen next, what they're going to do together. But, uh, Lord, likewise with us here, I pray our thoughts would be upon how do I now apply this truth, the preaching of your word, to my life. Lord, in this prayer time, I pray that we would be honest before you. May we allow you to search not only our hearts but our mind. May we allow you to discern our thoughts and making sure that we are thinking correctly, biblically, scripturally, Father, I pray that you'd expose those erroneous thoughts. We have erred in our thinking, maybe like Job's wife. And Father, maybe like Job here at the end. Maybe like Job's friends. Or, or Lord, maybe uh, there has been a time in our life or maybe we, we are more so following you for the benefits and the blessings. Lord, convict us of that. May this trial serve in our lives as you have promised it to do so, to grow us in Christ-likeness. May we submit to that. May we yield to that. And Lord, from this day forward, may our thinking in the midst of trials be established on the truth of Your Word. Lord, help each one of us now work in our hearts, continue to speak to us. And Lord, may we enjoy a sweet time now of prayer with You. 
with heads bowed and eyes closed. Those in the auditorium, I encourage you and invite you to join.